You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. I'm your host, Jessica, and today we're going to listen in on a conversation about putting America back to work. As Managing Director of University Ventures, Ryan Craig was the most important investor in higher education, or more specifically, last mile training alternatives to higher education. In his 2018 book, A New You, Faster and Cheaper Alternatives to College, Craig made the case that unless you get a free ride to a top school, you should find a free or affordable sprint to a good first job. With his new fund, Achieve Partners, Craig becomes the most important investor in a new category of intermediary organizations that take the friction out of hiring for companies as well as for job seekers. Through his initiative, Putting America Back to Work, Craig plans to put 100,000 people back into work by establishing frictionless pathways to good jobs. Let's listen in as Ryan talks with Dom. Hey, Ryan, Craig, welcome back to the Getting Smart Podcast. Tom, it's been, what, a year, year and a half? Good to it be is. back. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, what the heck just happened to the U.S. economy? Well, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's uh, probably for, hopefully for all of us, a once-in-a-lifetime uh, event. Uh, but uh, we know we now have 30 million Americans who are out of work, probably right. more. And, uh, well, actually. and that, that, that may be understated by half in terms of people that couldn't. Right. They couldn't file or people that have been furloughed and didn't file. Right. And all the independent contractors who now are not contracting (laughs) and not billing and not being paid. Uh, So, you know, look, it's 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 fair to say that, uh, you know, somewhere between a third and a half of the economy has stalled uh, at this point. And, uh, it's going to be very difficult, uh, to get up and and running. And, 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 and when we do, uh, get back up and running, whether that's in two months or 12 months, um, God forbid, uh, there are going to be lots of millions of jobs, uh, out there, uh, that, uh, they won't be able to go back to, uh, because, uh, their businesses either, uh, won't exist, uh, anymore, uh, or they just simply will be gun shy about hiring, uh, hiring back. And for good reason, uh, obviously you can imagine in the travel and hospitality and retail, uh, sectors, uh, they're going to be, uh, lots of businesses that, uh, won't be able to hire those workers back. So, uh, I don't know whether it's, you know, 2 million or 5 million or 8 million, uh, newly unemployed, uh, workers, uh, who, uh, will need pathways, uh, back to good jobs. Uh, that didn't exist before. We haven't, we've never seen anything like this and it, it, because it's not really an economic crisis. It was a health crisis that precipitated an economic crisis. So the, the effects have been and will be enormously uneven. So it's quite, uh, it's quite confusing. We'll, uh, we'll come back to that. Um, what, what's going to happen at colleges and universities this fall? Well, uh, look, I think the most important uh, distinction is that um, uh, colleges and universities will be hit uh, differentially. Uh, So uh, the elite, the name brand colleges and universities uh, will be fine. Um, Let me just start by saying I think it's it's, it's pretty crystal clear uh, at this point that in the absence of a resurgence of the virus or scary new research about aerosol transmission, Nearly all campuses will reopen this fall with a significant portion of learning still conducted online in order to maintain at least a pretense of social distancing uh, via reduced classroom uh, density. Uh, And, you know, all colleges and universities will say that they're doing it uh, uh, similar to what Mitch Daniels said, uh, I think, two weeks ago. 
which was, you know, sort of a highly uh, motivated uh, message. We're determined not to surrender uh, to this. We're going to tackle and manage these issues aggressively. Um, but the unstated reason, of course, is that no college or university wants to find out what how, what will happen to enrollment if they announce <laughs> that they're going to continue with uh, remote uh, learning. In fact, the first institution to signal that they would do that, Cal State Fullerton, uh, two weeks ago, quickly walked it back, uh, said that that's, that's not what they meant uh, uh, by that. Uh, so, But I think nevertheless, uh, on the heels of uh, a, a lost spring, uh, when many students learned that uh, remote learning uh, wasn't uh, what they were paying for, what they wanted, uh, uh, there are lots of students who uh, won't be buying in uh, in the fall. First, international students um, uh, who uh, were kicked out of dorms unceremoniously and are mostly back home at most for most colleges. I think relatively uh, few of them are going to return uh, next year, and, and new new enrollments uh, forget uh, forget about it. Um, and then domestic students. All the surveys we're seeing, anywhere from twelve to twenty percent. Uh, of uh, of of uh, new and continuing students uh, likely not to uh, to attend, and then you add to that, uh, adding insult to injury, the likely uh, sort of fiscal uh, shortfall, a decline in state funding of as much as twenty percent. You get revenue at some public institutions that could fall as much as thirty thirty percent, uh, which which has never happened uh, before. Uh, and uh, schools with uh, with endowments and means will be, uh, you know, chewing through those as best they can, and others will be in crisis uh, mode. And there, you you can't put a band aid on a thirty percent uh, revenue uh, decline. But just to be clear, that uh, that the the impact is going to be differential. Uh, so you're gonna you're gonna have uh, elite and brand name schools and the ones who who sort of could afford it, uh, who will not be impacted or barely impacted uh, at all. And uh, the impact uh, is going to be predominantly on non-selective institutions that um, enroll students primarily from outside their metropolitan areas or non-selective institutions that operate outside of major metropolitan areas. And these are the ones that are going to have an existential crisis in the next year or two. We've already started to see uh, colleges close, and I, I can imagine several dozen uh, colleges will never reopen. Is that fair to say? Oh yeah, uh, I think several several de- we're we're going to see more colleges close this year than have closed in any uh, probably five year uh, span uh, in in history. Uh, there's no question about that. I I think you know there are uh, hundreds more uh, that will uh, w- will limp along uh, and try to try to make uh, ends meet with uh, with with half half measures. My my view is that. Uh, you know, this is a, a crisis that presents an opportunity uh, because at lots of these non-selective colleges and universities, they are producing, uh, and as I've, I've written about, poor outcomes with respect to completion, uh, with respect to affordability, and especially with respect to employability and the employment outcomes their graduates uh, uh, are obtaining. Uh, so uh, this is a, uh, and, and of course, uh, the reason uh, that uh, most uh, colleges and universities have, have done very little uh, to address uh, these these crises uh, is that faculty and administrators are captive to uh, their own educational backgrounds and nostalgia. But just because that model uh, still works at our most selective universities or worked 20, 30, or 40 years ago where, where, where maybe they went to school, <laughs> uh, I think Michael, uh, Michael Sorrell of Paul Quinn uh, was quoted last week as saying, we can't, we can't sit around and be held hostage 
to uh, tradition. Uh, we have to stop being more in love with our traditions than we are with our with our students. Uh, and uh, this is this is an opportunity now for uh, leadership that recognizes that change uh, is needed uh, at these institutions uh, to overcome uh, the 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 dozens or hundreds of internal barriers uh, to to change. The reason these colleges and universities have not changed to date. Uh, is due to internal uh, inertia, uh, and nothing breaks through that internal inertia like a like a, an emergency or crisis uh, like this. So, you know, yes, I'm I'm pessimistic, but I'm also hopeful uh, because I think that uh, institutions that want to change now will have an opportunity uh, to change. Uh, and the change is it's not it's not about closing campuses. Uh, you know, it's not about launching online uh, programs. Uh, it's about rethinking or redesigning uh, how uh, we're achieving student outcomes. Uh, so, you know, uh, I, I point to uh, Dan Greenstein at, at uh, you know the Pennsylvania State uh, system, who has said that he's now considering moving less popular programs and courses online, so a single campus uh, in in the system can achieve uh, scale in delivery. Or what Paul LeBlanc uh, announced a couple weeks ago at Southern New Hampshire. Uh, where all freshman year coursework will, will be completed online uh, and then basically made freshman year uh, free uh, for students. So they come to campus, they have that residential experience, hopefully uh, this fall or future falls, but they'll complete that academic coursework uh, online. A, a way to sort of re- rethink the cost, the cost structure. So whether it's sort of rethinking general education or turning degree programs upside down by starting with industry recognized certifications or at least marketable certificates or uh, you know risking cannibalizing uh, your degree programs with new faster and cheaper pathways uh, to good uh, good jobs uh, these are the things that I think uh, college and university leaders who want to change uh, will be able to undertake this year in a way that uh, they, they haven't uh, in the past uh, due to uh, all the uh, inertia Speaking of um, faster pathways, I want to back up and talk about your 2018 book. It was called A New You, Faster Plus Cheaper Alternatives to College. On a number of occasions, I've called it uh, the best and most provocative uh, book of 2018. It's one that I continue to to think about. Um, It it really did uh, update my uh, advice that I've been providing in terms of, uh, of post-secondary. So we, many of us really appreciate your work there. I, I guess to try to quickly summarize it, um, y- your advice was if you get a free ride to, uh, to a brand name, a brand name selective, uh, take it. Otherwise think hard about, a, a hard sprint to a good first job, particularly free or debt free, sprint to a good first job. Is that uh, close? Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, if you can afford to go to a uh, to, to, to college, uh, no one should deny you uh, that uh, opportunity. Uh, so whether you're from a privileged uh, background, uh, great, go to college. No one's going to say no. Um, uh, or if you're uh, not from a privileged background, but you're, uh, it's affordable. Uh, and I, in the book, I talk about the Lumina uh, Foundation's Rule of Ten uh, test is the, uh, the the right metric for thinking about whether it's uh, affordable, but a, a very stringent metric that very few uh, public universities and virtually no private universities would uh, would pass uh, at this uh, at this point. 
Uh, but if you can, you know, whether it's uh, selective or non-selective, if it's affordable, great, go. But the problem is that, uh, you know, the vast majority of matriculating students are matriculating into non-selective uh, universities. They're only, you know, they're less than 200 now, uh, university colleges and universities in the country that are selective in terms of admitting fewer than 50% of applicants. Uh, and a uh, uh, vast majority of those attending non-selective universities are, are, are uh, uh, the financial formula is not, not affordable uh, for, their, for their families, but they're under the impression that uh, a degree is uh, the sort of sine qua non uh, of the labor market. And if they, it's really the, you know, the, the, the price of entry uh, to have a shot uh, at getting a good first job. And what's, you know, what's, what most people don't realize is that increasingly that's not the case, particularly in technology. Um, whether or not you have a degree is a lot less important uh, than uh, what your GitHub uh, account shows in terms of your coding uh, proficiency, uh, or perhaps even digital credentials or certifi certainly certifications uh, that you might uh, be able to uh, attain. Uh, and no one is suggesting that uh, uh, higher education or the college experience is, 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 is not a desirable thing. The question is whether it's a, an affordable thing, and particularly the way that uh, our, our, our culture uh, uh, urges uh, young people to consume uh, all of that in one sitting before the age of 23 or 24. And in our view is we are moving to a world of lifelong learning uh, where uh, your uh, first uh, pathway might be a faster and cheaper uh, pathway focused more on technical or digital uh, skills to that first job. Uh, but you're going to absolutely need uh, further development of your cognitive skills, executive function skills uh, later on uh, in your career. So that is lifelong learning, getting what you need when you need it. Uh, and that's something that everyone in higher education should be, uh, should be for. Um, uh, unfortunately, uh, it may mean uh, that the uh, degree bundle, uh, which has uh, uh, funded this uh, $500 billion industry uh, for the last uh, 50 years uh, or so, uh, is uh, is a casualty uh, of that, and I think that COVID is is just going to accelerate that again uh, at non-selective schools. Hey, listeners, it's your host Jessica. I wanted to just take a quick break to share an important resource with you. Recently, our team launched the Getting Through Microsite to support educators, leaders, and families on the path forward during this unprecedented and uncertain time. There's something there for everyone, whether you're just getting started with your transition to distance learning or you've had plans in place for a while and now have the opportunity to share your work and guidance with others. We hope this gives you a place for your voice and an opportunity to learn. We know we will get through this together. Check it out at gettingsmart.com slash getting through. Okay, now back to the show. If you wrote a 2020 forward to the second edition of a new you, uh, what, what would you say? What would you update? Yeah. Well, look, I think uh, th th there's, there's no question that, uh, the need, uh, for these new, uh, pathways to jobs is greater than it's ever, uh, it's ever been. I think the other realization that we've come to is when I wrote the book, uh, over two years ago now, uh, we kind of, uh, profile these different, uh, faster and cheaper pathways, uh, and, and present them fairly equally. So you have these coding uh, boot camps that charge tuition, and you have uh, programs that uh, leverage income share uh, agreements, and you have these uh, sort of new apprenticeship uh, models. And what we've seen uh, over the last two years is that uh, the models that grow uh, fastest and scale furthest uh, are the ones that uh, essentially reduce or eliminate the frictions, uh, not only for the candidate, but most importantly for the employer. 
so, and, that, and that's absolutely critical. So for the candidate, even a tuition, you know, based coding bootcamp, there's still friction in there, uh, right? Uh, you're, you're, you're going to pay, uh, money up front. You're going to you know, take financial risk and there's no guarantee, uh, of a job. I mean, you got a, a good shot at a job, but no one's guaranteeing you a job or offering you a job on day one of that, uh, of that, of that program. Uh, and it doesn't do anything to address what we call the hiring friction, which is the reduced propensity of employers to hire a candidate for a role where they literally haven't done that job before. Uh, and that's so important now uh, where you're going to have all these, uh, you're going to have uh, hundreds of thousands or millions of employers that are just gun shy uh, about uh, adding to their payroll uh, in this environment or for the next year or two uh, even. So that that hiring friction is going to be higher than it's ever uh, than it's ever been. Uh, contrast that uh, to these sort of new, uh, what we call employer pay uh, models, uh, where uh, on the candidate side, uh, you're making it friction-free because you're hiring candidates on day one. It truly is an apprenticeship model. You're earning while you're learning. Uh, you're, in a, you're, you're, you're an employee from, from day one, uh, and you're guaranteed a, a job. So no financial risk, guaranteed a job. And what these models do on the, on the uh, employer side as well is they eliminate the hiring friction. Uh, because uh, that uh, what we call intermediary, uh, that that staffing or training provider, uh, acts as the employer of record for uh, up to several years uh, for the end uh, end employer. Uh, so they're literally providing, uh, in many cases, purpose trained talent uh, to uh, their clients on a try before you buy basis. And we've now seen this model uh, scale rapidly. Uh, across a range of tech uh, areas, software development, uh, most pr- most prominently, uh, uh, data visualization, data science. Uh, uh, we're looking at medical uh, devices, uh, medical device training now, a range of healthcare uh, areas, healthcare IT, uh, in addition, electronic medical records uh, implementations. There's all sorts of uh, areas where we're seeing uh, these new models uh, scale to thousands uh, of placements a year, much faster than you see uh, sort of the traditional education uh, model. So we've come up with a framework where we distinguish between uh, what we call education up models, meaning you're starting with education, or employer down models, meaning you're starting with employers. So education up models are pretty much everything that you and I have ever known <laughs> uh, in the space where a bunch of well-meaning uh, individuals, typically educators or education entrepreneurs, um, uh, sit around a table and ascertain which skills uh, are uh, needed, uh, and then they develop a curriculum and they recruit students and they deliver that program and they graduate students and then they kind of hope and pray that they find work. And that characterizes you know, where I went to college and where you went to school and the workforce program down the street and even the coding boot camp. Um, and contrast that with these employer employer down uh, models where what they're doing is they're starting with relationships with uh, the end employers. Uh, and we've recognized now that that's really the hardest part of the skills gap uh, to bridge is that that connection to the end employer, that relationship literally to the hiring manager with the need for talent, which is something that uh, no uh, university or college or school can really develop and maintain over time. Right, like yes, your career services office may have a connection with uh, the HR department at a given uh, employer, but you're not talking or touching uh, the hiring manager directly, not consistently. Uh, and when they think about uh, the fact that they're going to need to hire 50 Python developers trained in a specific tech stack next year, they're not going to be thinking about your school specifically. 
Uh, contrast that to in these employer down models uh, where you already have relationships with those hiring managers because you're already a service provider uh, to uh, that uh, company, be it some sort of business service or staffing uh, uh, service. You have those relationships, you have contracts, you have master services agreements with dozens or hundreds of, and in many, uh, many cases, large Fortune 500 uh, employers. Uh, and those companies, which essentially have distribution to the end uh, employers, now can push a new product uh, through that uh, distribution channel, uh, which is the provision of purpose-trained entry-level talent at scale. And so those are the models that are winning. Those are the ones that are going to win because they have no friction, uh, either on the uh, on the candidate side or, or on the uh, employer side. And, and that's what we need to do. I mean, I've had several conversations in the last uh, week uh, with uh, sort of uh, 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 foundation, think tank, policy uh, folks thinking about what new uh, programs uh, we need as a nation uh, in order to address the fact that we're going to have two, three, five, eight million Americans uh, out of work long term here uh, as a result of this COVID-19 induced uh, uh, recession or depression. Uh, and uh, my answer is uh, that uh, we should, y- yes, you know, funding, funding upskilling uh, programs uh, is not a bad thing, uh, but if we just continue to fund uh, upskilling in the way we've always funded upskilling, we're gonna we shouldn't we're gonna see the same uh, results, uh, which is in five years we'll still have eight million people out of out of work. What needs to happen here is not just upskilling; it's placement. We we literally need uh, to fund uh, the placement uh, of the candidate into the job, uh, which means. Uh, eliminating the friction for the candidate uh, and for the uh, end employer who will be able to, uh, with uh, a new new publicly funded program, essentially try uh, talent uh, on a a discounted or even free uh, basis for a period of time before they have to decide whether or not uh, they're going to make the investment uh, in hiring uh, that uh, talent. Uh, And that's the kind of, I think, uh, incentive uh, that we're going to need to put millions of people back to work uh, sooner. And I just want to add time is of the essence here because the longer millions of people remain uh, out of work, uh, the staler their skills get, the harder it becomes uh, to go back to work. Is the federal government going to be the key actor there? It seems like they're the only ones that can print money and and, and write a check. I think states uh, could launch programs. I mean, I, 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 I don't see why a state couldn't launch a program like that. States have workforce uh, dollars and, and, and budgets. And so walk us through how, uh, how it might work. What, what group of employers might participate? Well, I think the, the important point is there are uh, thousands or tens of thousands of employers out there uh, who have the ability to serve as intermediaries, uh, as vectors uh, for talent uh, and placement. And these are the staffing and business services companies that have relationships with the end employer. So really what we need to do is, in our minds, differentiate between the end employers, say the Verizons uh, of, the, of the world, uh, with uh, you know, the Accentures. Uh, of the world, uh, right? Accenture, uh, I'm sure, is a service provider to Verizon. They're probably doing, you know, 20 different projects across Verizon today. They have relationships with all these hiring managers uh, at Verizon. Uh, Accenture could get into the business of also becoming a talent supplier uh, to uh, to Verizon. Uh, Accenture, Manpower, uh, a whole host of business services uh, companies across a range uh, of verticals. Uh, again, we're you know we're we're not going to uh, no one is going to get into the business of providing uh, software developers to Google. Uh, Google's going to hire those folks directly. 
but that's a minority of Google employees. Uh, Google uh, Google uh, uh, employs uh, tens of thousands of workers uh, across a, uh, all these other business uh, functions. And in each of those areas, they have service providers who could act as vectors for, for talent. And those are the uh, intermediaries who need to be incentivized uh, to think about themselves uh, as uh, a solution uh, for uh, the workforce challenges that we're going to face. Uh, Ryan, what is University Ventures? Uh, so yeah, UV uh, is our uh, fund, uh, and uh, we're a private equity firm uh, focused uh, at the intersection of education uh, and uh, employment. So we've been investing now for uh, eight years uh, or so, uh, and we have something like uh, 35 uh, portfolio uh, companies that are primarily uh, uh, doing what I've just described, uh, which is trying to uh, develop and and scale uh, new pathways uh, to employment. Uh, a year ago, you started another fund called Achieve Partners. Why uh, a new fund? Well, uh, you know, it, it, University Ventures doesn't really uh, do a great job of describing uh, what I just described. <laughs> it's neither university nor ventures, uh, really. Uh, and so, yes, we have a new fund, a new firm, uh, a new team uh, at uh, Achieve, and uh, we're excited to uh, dive in and, and make bigger uh, investments. What will be different at a Achieve? The scale uh, of the of the deals. We're 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 buying bigger companies uh, because we recognize that uh, the uh, the rate at which we can scale uh, the throughput uh, of talent uh, to clients is a function of the distribution network that we already have in place. Uh, and so, the bigger the company uh, we can buy, the larger the sales force, the more contracts or MSAs they have with end clients uh, in a specific vertical, uh, the more successful we can be. Uh, at pushing this new uh, product uh, through that distribution channel, and more um, private equity than than early stage venture. Oh yeah, entirely uh, private, entirely private equity buyouts, acquisitions of uh, large large companies who we feel uh, can get into the can can add to what they do uh, through a sort of entry level uh, talent uh, provision, putting people in jobs, uh, and uh, we want to get to up to you know placing five thousand people uh, a year. At each of these companies, so uh, at our uh, at this uh, at the the first achieve fund, uh, we have a goal uh, of putting 100,000 Americans into good jobs they would not have been able to attain if not for the creation uh, of these new uh, employer uh, down pathways. You have some interesting uh, partners in that fund. Um, mention a few of your partners. Yeah, well, Daniel Pianco is my uh, co-founder, uh, and uh, he's, uh, uh, you know, I've worked with Daniel now for 20 years, uh, and uh, he's one of the most innovative uh, thinkers uh, that uh, I know in the space. We complement each other uh, really, really well <laughs> at this point uh, after 20 years. So uh, Daniel is, uh, is, a, is a terrific, uh, terrific resource, and we have a whole host of other uh, folks uh, who are in the fund or consulting uh, to, the, uh, to the fund. Uh, who've just done uh, a great job of opening uh, opening doors across these these different uh, sectors: cybersecurity, digital marketing, uh, healthcare, IT, healthcare services, behavioral health. Where we feel that last mile training uh, can really accelerate the growth uh, of the underlying companies that we're buying. It sounds like um, this corporate connected training um, is going to replace. A very large percentage of traditional higher ed, the 
uh, the, the uh, higher ed um, accessed by 18 to 24 year olds and, and what remains may end up serving uh, some of the, the lifelong learning. Is that your sense? Are, the, are these faster and cheaper alternatives going to replace a, a relatively large chunk of traditional higher education? Well, I'll tell you, it was, it's a larger chunk today than I, I, was, I would have told you two months ago. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, it, it seems uh, to have jumped uh, yeah. by 10 or 15 percentage points. So. Yeah, I mean, the big problem is I wish that we were sort of five years further down the road in terms of the evolution of yeah. these new pathways, uh, because the reality is that there just aren't nearly enough yet. Uh, to serve the uh, the millions who need uh, these uh, these pathways and these opportunities, but uh, look, I mean, I think the value proposition. Once you know, our, my my vision is uh, in a decade. Uh, let's choose a market. Let's choose uh, Tampa, right? In the Tampa market, uh, I think there will be ten different pathways, um, at least in that market, into various biotech, uh, fintech, uh, you know, software development, data visualization, you name it. Uh, they'll have these these pathways where uh, so some will come uh, from uh, uh, you know they'll they'll want you to have uh, some some college uh, and some some will maybe want you to have a degree uh, so so I, I wouldn't say that it's going to replace uh, all of uh, higher education and for example um, uh, data you know you're not going to make a data scientist out of a high school student uh, you're going to need to have you know the relevant uh, STEM uh, coursework, um, so you, you you can't last mile train your uh, your way into a data scientist. Uh, but uh, some uh, will come right out of high school. Uh, digital marketing is a good example. That's an area we're focusing on, and you know we we'd love to buy a digital marketing agency and be the first digital marketing agency uh, to uh, co- uh, approach clients with a novel value proposition, which is not only will we continue to do great digital marketing work for you and manage your Google AdWords and Facebook spend. Uh, but that your account manager or managers or the folks who work on your account uh, after uh, a handful of years, uh, you'll be you can you can you're welcome to hire them. Uh, that you get to know them, they work with you, and you know it's a pathway uh, to uh, bring in uh, talent uh, of your of your own. And and you know we think that that's going to be very appealing to lots of uh, to lots of employers rather than taking a a risk on some unproven uh, talent uh, you just happens to send their resume and why not work with the uh, the talent who you've 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 been working with uh, at your at your service provider and so we think that that's that will provide a, a pathway and we think in a in a decade there are millions of young people who will get their start uh, their first job will be at one of these intermediaries uh, effectively essentially what we're suggesting is that the 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 the, the labor market is 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 broken uh, insofar as you know, pathways to employment uh, just uh, are, aren't aligned uh, with uh, with what the employer's uh, needs uh, are. Uh, and when when things break, and uh, you know, at the enterprise level in corporate America, uh, com- companies want to you know tend to want to outsource <laughs> that problem to specialists. And so I think we're we're going to start seeing the outsourcing of entry level hiring, uh, and that's what this that's what this represents. Uh, and what we're what we're committed to is. You know, we want to. Uh, we want these pathways to be to good jobs, uh, meaning full-time employee, 50k or more annualized, uh, and with multiple career pathways uh, from there. And we want them to, you know, be cl- clearly to be 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 throughputting uh, candidates to the end employer. We we're, we're not interested in sort of building up body shops and you know keeping uh, you know 24, 26 year olds captive uh, at our companies. We want to we want to progress them. Uh, to uh, clients, so they can launch their uh, their career. So those those are the criteria that we use uh, in determining uh, what we're going to do next. 
Closing advice for uh, high school juniors and seniors? <sighs> wow. Um, well, uh, I certainly don't blame you uh, if uh, you're nervous uh, about uh, attending college next year. I would say that uh, I think there's going to be a differential response. I would uh, have more confidence if you're going into a selective school, uh, they may have the resources to uh, make an on-campus uh, uh, environment uh, work uh, sooner and safer. Um, uh, and, and so I, I'd, I'd be more uh, encouraging uh, if you're, uh, if you're attending a non planning on attending a non-selective institution, uh, again, if it's uh, financially a stretch for you, there's no question in my mind, you should take a year off, take a pause, take a gap year. Um, yeah, I would say try and find a job, but, <laughs> you know, do something, uh, 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 create an entrepreneurial that within, uh, with the resources that you have, um, to progress your, yourself, um, uh, and you'll, 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 you'll find you probably will make a better uh, decision, uh, I think a year later. And I think a lot of young people are, are likely to, to do that. If you're a junior, uh, going into your senior year of uh, high school, uh, just, you know, uh, I, I hope you're able to be back, uh, at school, uh, in September. I think you will, uh, on some modified uh, basis, just as the colleges, uh, are, and I hope you have a reasonably normal, uh, senior year. Uh, and I think the, the admissions process will probably, uh, seem uh, more normal uh, than it did this year. Ryan Craig, uh, author of A New You, uh, we appreciate your work and thanks for being on the Getting Smart podcast. Tom, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. A big thanks to Ryan for joining us for today's episode. We appreciate his efforts to expand access to good jobs and create a promising future for more Americans. For more on his book, A New You, see episode 160. We've got it linked in the show notes and on the blog. And as always, we'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and review. You can tell us what we could be doing better, who you want to hear from next, or what we should be exploring. That's all for this week, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Jessica signing off.